This is an ABC podcast. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Surfers call the ocean their backyard. That's just how well they understand the surf and maybe part of the reason why they've rescued over 250 people in just 24 months. Those numbers have come out as a part of a survey. 500 Victorian surfers were recently given a survey and it's been completed and it's shown that 6% of surfers have had to help someone in trouble in the water and 3% of surfers have had to administer first aid. Now, 3% doesn't sound like a huge number, but in actual fact it is when you look at the small amount of people that were actually surveyed. And these numbers are just from that particular research. So you have to start to ask, how many others do we not know about? If you talk to an experienced surfer, they'll tell you that they just feel an innate sense of social responsibility, that it just comes naturally to look out for and protect people who are in the water. But it might be anything from giving tourists information in the car park that maybe they should consider swimming somewhere else or paddling out to someone who's stuck in a rip. So what skills do surfers have and what skills should they be taught, especially if they're learning how to surf, not only how to keep themselves safe, but others as well? And should Victoria look at following suit into New South Wales? In New South Wales, they're currently giving surfers, a handful of surfers, I think around 50, shark attack training and even giving them tourniquet kits. And the fact is we rely on surfers as almost unofficial protectors of us in the ocean. And then you can take it a step further, if you like, and even think about the emotional toll that it takes on surfers when they've had to rescue someone. So let's go to the surf today. Do you surf? Have you had to help someone? How often do you have to help someone, whether it be physically helping them in the water or giving them some information on land? And has a surfer ever helped you when you've gotten into trouble in the surf? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Let's go surfing now, everybody's learning now, come on a safari with me. They are the unofficial guardians of the ocean and they just know the water and multiple times surfers will tell you that they've had to save someone. So do we rely on surfers to a certain degree? They're often surfing those dangerous parts of the surf that aren't manned by surf lifesaving. So what skills do they have and are there a set of skills that they should be being taught? And if a surfer has ever rescued you, has ever saved you in any way, or maybe just given you some really vital information in the car park, how have they helped you? Wendy says both Surfing Victoria and Surfing WA give free first aid courses to surfers. We actually invited them to be on today's program, but they're a little busy. We will speak to Surfing New South Wales later in the program about the work that they're doing with a handful of surfers there and teaching them how to help someone if they have been bitten by a shark. I mean, that's just awful to think about, but that's the reality sometimes, isn't it? Let's have a chat to Brad. Brad, I reckon we're going to get a lot of calls from your neck of the woods today in Torquay. Brad, morning. Uh, Yeah, morning. How are you going? Good, mate. What have you had to do? Uh, Look, I've been a surfer for about 15 years, but... um when I, uh, I wasn't surfing on surf coast, but I was around Phillip Island, um, there were some people that obviously couldn't swim. Um, they were of an Indian background. Um, they were wading in the water, taking some photos, and before they knew it, their feet, well, sitting in the surf, there was only me and two other mates, um, and you could see that their feet were lifted off the ground, and then the rip carried them. And we sort of looked at each other and kind of went, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah not, that's not going to go well. And you could see them flailing. Um, so we rode the wave in through the boards towards them because they were panicky. I mean, the worst thing if you are, and I've had to, in other areas, when people panic, they'll grab you and pull you under. So you just sort of push the board forward and and say, grab that. Don't you don't get close yourself. How um, did you how did you then, learn yeah. to do this, Brad? So I mean, I'm presuming well, that you probably had to do this more than once. 
the thing is, like, they talk about training people in water and so forth, but, like, if you've surfed for 15 years and you've done these sorts of things, you're naturally going to sort of know what to do in the water. Um, and, look, if you're living around the coast and you're around water, you're probably going to have first aid. You're probably going to have CPR and you're probably going to have to respond at some point. At some point, you are going to look at yourself as having local knowledge and you are going to see someone who's not local and it's almost instinctual that you hypervigilantly see non-local people doing stupid things and you stand there and think, I might just keep an eye on this. And you don't, you subconsciously do it and then something sometimes happens and because of your local knowledge and your experience and your hobbies and you react and know what to do. So, look, and the other one with the shark training, like when was the last time we had a shark attack in Victoria? Not very often. We don't have bull sharks, tiger sharks. We very rarely get great whites coming through. It's it's not the migration patterns. It's not the right... We've got grey nurses. Of the hundreds of species of sharks there are, there's only, I think, I read this statistic the other day, three that will attack humans. Yeah. Brad, do you... How do you feel about the social responsibility? I know it's innate, right, and that your love of water and surface love of water and the ocean is something that I think a lot of us are really jealous of because you have a connection that most of us would only dream of. But I've also witnessed parts of and you mentioned Phillip Island and I've witnessed there's a, a stretch of a beach there that I know very well and unfortunately over the last couple of years multiple people have died each year someone will die there in that exact same circumstance almost as you just said someone that is a tourist from out of town doesn't realize how dangerous it is and it's the local surfers that have always tried to save them and I sensed in one year in particular the stress of the community Every time someone went into the water when they shouldn't be, and pretty much this stretch of water, unless you're a surfer and you're an experienced surfer, you just shouldn't be in it. And the stress yep. that it put on the community, it was horrific to witness that that responsibility, I guess. Well, it's a responsibility of living on the coast, isn't it? I mean, you're looking after your own area, and, and I'm assuming you're talking about Cape Orma and yeah. so forth. Yeah. It is a treacherous piece of surf. Um, but, you know... I, You've got a love of water. You've got a love of looking after it, and you you look to the ocean, and you 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 want people also to enjoy it. Um, I mean, a lot of my mates don't surf, but I'm constantly trying to get them in the water. <laughs> um, and if you're going out with someone that knows what they're doing, they'll show you what to do. But I mean, I, I guess the surf training I've seen a little bit because there was the Australian Board Riders Competition um, uh, last week, which is all the surf clubs competition team events and everything and from social media i've seen that a couple of the guys stayed behind there was a rescue there at newcastle on that weekend Mm. by some surfers and um uh the the guys actually hung around afterwards and took a lot of those board riders through some basic safety stuff because i think the hard the the hard part is it's not the first aid it's not the cpr you can do those sorts of things anywhere it's the panic in people's faces and the fact that your surfboard is not, I mean, I surf shortboards. There's not a lot of foam in it. You know, there's, it's not that flotational. It will float one person. It doesn't Enough. float two. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is what makes surfers just a special breed of human being, Brad. You, it really is incredible. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Alex is talking about that same stretch of beach, actually. She's just sent a text that says, Hey, guys, before I met my wife, she was saved by a surfer down at Phillip Island at the back beach in 2015. She was panicking and she was in a light rip and thought she was going to go under at any second due to exhaustion. When a surfer grabbed her with his board and paddled her onto shore, she never got to thank him as he just paddled off and kept surfing. She says she thinks about that day and that surfer often. That's from Alex. God, isn't that incredible? It's just like a you know little miracle that pops up and saves you and gets back as there's a good wave to catch. Pat's in McRae. Morning, Pat. Yeah. yeah hi. Yeah. Look, I'm an old guy in, in the sixties now and been surfing a long time and down the back beach at, at Rye and. It gets pretty treacherous, and I suppose, you know, I've got a couple of friends that have saved people, and myself I have, but, you know, we sort of joke with each other when there's a group in summer and the swell's up a bit, you know, are we going to end up on the 6 o'clock news saving somebody, you know? 
it's, it's, I'm making humour of a very serious subject, but really getting back to the news, you know, maybe the news should be broadcasting when the swells are up, like they do in New South and Queensland, and let people know, because, you know, going to the beach can be a pretty spontaneous activity, and on the front beach or on in the bay, that's not a problem, but on the back beach it is. And when the swell's big and people think that they can go swimming there and you know, um, they're going to get themselves in a lot of trouble very quickly. So, you know, there's a heap of um, sites like Windy and Swellnet and, and they'll tell you what the swell's mm. doing. And if people thinking about going to the back beach, it's, it's a completely different mindset yeah, to really swimming, swimming in a pool or swimming in an ocean, you know. It, it's, is there enough it, signage, do you think? You know, I mean, Brad from Torquay before was talking about when he had to save someone that were visiting, um, that they were tourists or from another country. And when you look yeah. around, in particular, some of these back beaches, Pat, you're so right. They're beautiful, right? They're breathtakingly beautiful. Oh, absolutely. But they're yeah. dangerous. And there's no yeah. signage. It doesn't say... You know, well, we were saying that one of these beaches we're talking about that it pretty much to say don't swim here or there's a very good chance you'll die. You know, it needs to be that black and white sometimes. Yes, um, yeah, again, it's education. And when it comes to tourism, I suppose there should be something on, you know, when people come to this country that it, it is an island and it has a lot of ocean. So, you know, perhaps, it, you know, we, we, it's, it's education again, you know, to try and prevent it. And, and I'm all for, you know, training surfers and that sort of thing. I mean, we kind of know what we're doing, but we don't know everything. Mm. Um, certainly resuscitation and those sorts of things need to be updated. And shark attacks is, is a whole different realm again because that's sort of very serious. Uh, but more people die from drowning than shark attacks. So I suppose that's an area that uh, that can be more preventable. And, you know, again... You know, being on the back beach is very different from swimming in the bay. Yeah, good on you, Pat. And when we're talking about signage, you know, signage in multiple languages, you know, putting signage just up in English just isn't enough. This text from Anne, several years ago I was kayaking at a surf beach near Byron Bay when I noticed a young Chinese lady who was in trouble. She was out of her depth and couldn't swim and waving at me to save her. I kayaked over and she tried to get in, but it would topple the kayak. So I told her just to hang on to the back and I wrote towards the shore and into the surf, chatting to her all about where she lives and how tricky it was with the kayak. Two lovely young surfers, two men, noticed us and as we got nearer to the shore, they came out, they took her in the rest of the way. We were both relieved and very grateful. Renee's in Kingsville. Good morning, Renee. Oh, good morning. How are you today? Good. What's your story? I feel like today's story is I'm going to be holding my breath for a big chunk of the show. I'm feeling emotional about it. So um, in the mid-90s, as a teenager, we're on a family holiday in Marindula. Um, and my dad's a keen surfer from way back. And anyway, he'd come out of the surf, had his board on, um, next to us as a family. And then the next thing, he just got up and started sprinting to the water. And what he had seen, which we hadn't, was a toddler go under and not resurface. Oh, my God. And, um, yeah, he was able to find the little boy, pluck him out, um, got him on the beach, administered CPR, and I think just, you know, we all held our breath as dad, you know, we saw our father do this, and, um, you know, and the, and the boy um, started crying and was responding to the treatment. But I think what was so powerful was we actually had to go and look for the family afterwards because they weren't in sight. Um, and that was, yeah, really emotional. I remember mum looking for the family to, um, yeah, give the, the son back and tell them what had happened. Did that have an so, impact yeah. on your dad? Renee? Um, yeah, I think he, you know, he grew up in Cronulla Beach and said yeah. he, you know, used to have to save many a person um, wow. through being a lifesaver and in his surfing, you know, not career, but, you know, um, hobby. And he just said, he always mentioned to us that um, if he hadn't been watching, because we weren't, yeah, well, the outcome would have been far different. So, um, yeah, and I, I do, I, th- I think back to that day quite clearly, yeah. Oh, Renee, gosh, I oh, know, there's <laughs> nothing like, and I, I can just see your dad 
sprinting out there. My cousin yep. is the same and did the same thing and I can just see him doing that. And you just know mm. surfers, right, when they just stop and they look out because they've recognised yep. something or they're just checking that somebody's okay and yeah. it's innate in them. Renee, thank you for sharing that story. I guess Karen in Apollo Bay sums this up. She just sent a text that says, my husband has saved several people, tourists. It's just what surfers do. So do you surf? Have you had to help someone? And has a surfer ever helped you when you've gotten into trouble in the surf? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name is Rochelle Hunt. And we're talking about the sheer number of life-saving events that surfers have done. There was a survey where 500 Victorian surfers were followed. And in a 24-month period, they saved 250 people. And 3% of those 500 surfers had to administer some kind of first aid. That innate responsibility that surfers feel it's quite incredible and so many texts coming in talking about what they've done or what they've witnessed. Gary Dunn is formerly from the Australian National Surfing Museum, has lived in Torquay most of his life and has worked everywhere from tracks to rip curl. I make you sound like an old man, Gary, but <laughs> you've, done, you've done plenty of things, mate. Yeah, I've been very, very lucky, Michelle. Listening to hello some, to all your listeners. Listening to some of these stories, I guess... They surprise people like me, but they probably don't surprise mm. people like you that have lived in the surf. No, no surprise at all. Um, it's a, you know, it's a fact of life. We've got a uh, about twelve thousand kilometres of coastline that gets consistent surf, and you know, for all the people who, um, you know, give up their time in the surf lifesaving movement, which was, which is fantastic. Um, there are just too many beaches and and not enough people in that kind of position to to look out for others and surfers you know by nature don't want to be around crowds and so you know they often go to the the out of the way places that often also attract tourists um because they're so beautiful and yeah it's it it's i think it's a when it comes to surfers and their sense of social responsibility you know i spoke to a few of my um good friends who've also been lifelong surfers and you know their attitude is that it's just what you do as yeah. a human that you just respond to somebody and help and but so how do you help. learn so the, the the skills that you have so whether it be throwing your board to someone explaining to someone how to navigate a rip or how to keep calm i mm. mean that panic in someone's face that brad spoke about before but then there's also mm. first aid and cpr mm. i mean do you just slowly learn that over the years or is it yeah i think it in certainly in the case of um most surfboard riders uh so surf lifesavers you know obviously get that kind of training directly um surfers you know tend not to uh, um associate in in big groups like that apart from the board riders clubs of course um but yeah the surfers uh you learn over time one of the key things you do as a surfer is spend hours and hours and thousands of hours watching the ocean and that um, you know, in my case, I've been fortunate to travel around the world and around Australia and, and experience a huge variety of um, surf locations. And, and that knowledge is, is mm. you know, I think invaluable. But it's something you can only get by going to the place um, or, or places. Uh, the general knowledge of, you know, how to deal with, with the surf, it's very much about not trying to fight it, but um, use the ocean and its currents to your advantage. And, you know, surf life, surfers are incredibly good at that, um, you know, managing to paddle out, uh, you know, on, on bigger days when, when people look at the ocean and go, oh, that's scary. You know, you'll see surfers spend long periods of time just negotiating their way out yeah. through the lineup. It's and amazing that, when you yeah. notice the difference to Gary, I mean, you you witness surfers just standing up at the top of the stairs, mm -hmm. looking at the waves, working mm. out where to go and how long they spend. And then, yep. you know, I've even seen um, 
these were men and older men to like mm-hmm. stretch for five minutes, almost in <laughs> yoga style poses, but limbering their body. I was actually quite intrigued yeah. by it. I thought they're limbering mm. their bodies up, making sure that they're physically. So not only have they looked and watched the surf for five or 10 minutes to figure out where they should go, they've then mm. stretched and got themselves ready to go into the water. And then you see yeah. a family wander down with a blow up unicorn and just barrel on in, <laughs> you know? And yeah. it's. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's it's, the difference. So, yeah, the ocean's so enticing, you know. Any beautiful sunny day, the ocean just sparkles and and it just wants, you know, draws you in. Um, but that that beauty is, you know, it does hide danger. But I don't look. The thing I want to emphasise is that if people just apply a little bit of common sense um, and and really, if they're going to go to somewhere out of the way. Um, that they, you know, go with other people, never go alone. Uh, you know, simple things like that uh, just, I think, reduce the danger mm. uh, particularly. And just finally, Gary, I mean, is this just something for, you know, lifelong surfers that it's innate? When you first buy a board, you know, if you're in your early teens or you're 10 or 12 or whatever it may be or you're a teenager and you're... Only a, a young server. What's the name? Gromit. Is that is that a Gromit? Yep, so that's used? it. You got it. Yeah, yeah. We, we shortened that... it to Groms. <laughs> that's, that's it. I'm not cool enough for that. But is it innate then, or does that come? Do, do you have mentors in the water that say, okay, well, if you're going to take the surf, then this is your social responsibility? Yeah. Look, I think the the vast majority of surfers, um, even the most experienced, would say that. They had mentors, unofficial and certainly not in any way structured. Um, but, you, you know, you go surfing with your mates. Uh, you know, I was fortunate. I lived in a house um, 150 metres from the water and I ha- had 40 male friends leaving their boards underneath my house. Um, so we had, a you know, an instant crowd, um, but we were always looking out for each other. Uh, you know, this other surfers, I think. Yeah, and and you know I had older brother, I had two older brothers who surfed, and and the good surfers that you look up to, and the people you see catching all the good waves, that's so instructive. You know, watching watching good surfers, how they negotiate, you know, just getting out sometimes, yeah. and and getting themselves into position to catch waves. That's you know that's a real skill. It's a very difficult thing to teach. It really does come down to experience. Yeah. How was the surf this morning, Gary? I dare say you've already been out. No, I've had a look. I've had a look. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm madly preparing for a, a trip around Australia. I've, I've long wanted to do a, oh. uh, a surf road trip and uh, <laughs> and see and see other parts of Australia as well. Wow. Not totally How long are you going for? How long's the trip? Indefinitely. Oh, really? Mm, well, you'll have to mm. keep us keep us informed with how you go. Yeah, we'll do. Good on you, mate. That's great. Thank when you. do you take off? Uh, after the 60th running of the Rip Curl Pro at Easter. Just that old thing, hey? Yeah, just that old thing. It's uh, yeah, it should be a fantastic. It's nice run. to have it back home. So enjoy it, and it's a nice anniversary to the 60th as well. Have a wonderful road like- trip. Thank you very much. I just wanted to say very quickly, we've got two Australians uh, who've, who've both performed incredibly well in the first uh, World Championship competition of the year in Hawaii at Pipeline. Um, Tyler Wright, two-time world champion, finished second. And uh, West Australian Jack Robinson uh, won the Pipeline event and is now on top of the world rankings. And he's a he's a he's my tip for Australia's next world surfing champion. You heard it from you first. And Gary, you would know. You've know, worked with some of the best, including Mick Fanning, so you would know. Hey, mate, thanks so much. Great to hear about your trip. You deserve it. Take care. Thank you. You too. That's Gary Dunn there, just getting himself ready to uh, hit on a, well, an indefinite tour, a, uh, a surfing tour that will take himself around. And we're talking about those surfers that have saved you and that innate responsibility, that social responsibility that surfers feel. This text, my Mornington Peninsula back beach is glorious, but oh, so dangerous. The number of times I've warned parents with young kids bouncing around oblivious to the danger, but so often folk who have arrived as adults and haven't grown up with that deep knowledge of the power of the ocean it freaks me out. Let's head to Torquay again. Popular place today. G'day, Kerry. 
Hi, Rochelle. Thanks for taking the call. That's all right. Um, I was just, um, you sort of read my mind in having this conversation this morning because I often say to my family that, uh, family of surfers, by the way, that um, it should almost be something that's mandatory on aircraft when you've got 300-odd people coming into Australia for the first time, you know, sit through an hour, an hour and a half video with educational warnings about our rips, our currents, the size of our waves and so on. And um, because of the... And not just international flights, um, you know, people coming from regional areas of Australia um, that never seen the coast before, never swum in the ocean, for all those reasons, just to give warnings because, yeah. you know, as Gary was saying, it takes a lifetime of... Um, or perhaps a whole childhood and teenage years of surfing to get that sort of experience and knowledge. Of, um, I mean, that's right. I mean, there's all these stereotypes about what's dangerous in Australia when you come here, you know, and kangaroos bouncing down the street and shark attacks and all sorts of redbacks and snakes and whatnot. But the reality is most people aren't going to see any of that. But if you're visiting here, you're probably going to see a beach. And if it's beautiful weather, it's enticing to get in that water. And none of us really know how dangerous it is. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of information at a lot of our beaches. So I wonder whether that's just something simple that could be that could be done. It'd be great, wouldn't it, if there were some sort of educational videos showing the, the risks and how to read the warnings. And even as a person who's been coastal, you know, most of my life, um, just in the last few years, I've been knocked off my feet in knee-deep water on Red Rock side of Point Addis, knocked off my feet, and then the next wave came over and, you know, totally took me down. And and I know how to read, I know how to read the ocean and I can feel the undertow and I had all the awareness of it. And it still took me down. Yeah. And you know, and I'm a hefty, you know, middle-aged woman who was strong enough to get myself back up on my feet, much to my daughter's entertainment. But you know, still <laughs> a chance, you know. Yeah, that's it. It's understanding it. You're right. It's powerful. It's beautiful, but it's so powerful. Kerry, thank you. Scott's in Williamstown. Morning, Scott. Uh, Riz, how are you going? Good, mate. What do you want to say? Well, I'd just like to reinforce from talking Gary Dunn about surf awareness and how surfers develop it. I've been a lifesaver and surfer for a very long time and get frustrated how people, when they get to the beach, the first thing they do is just go to where they think they want to put their towels as opposed to taking a bit of time to observe and look for rips mm. um, and then you know, just ask a local where they can or can't go. Asking uh, a local, I mean, that's good, isn't it? I mean, that's... Some- that's just basic. I mean, we just most of us don't talk to strangers, but just being if you see someone there that looks like they know what they're doing, saying, "Is it safe to surf? Uh, swim here, or where should I go?" Well, to a point, I have an anecdote where I was down the beach with my kids about two years ago now, and having made them stop and look at the water before we went in, and swimming on a sandbar in between rips. As we're leaving, there was a mum with some young kids, and they were in the rip, and I told her, "Look, I suggest you move down the beach." Um, as we were in the car park packing up, they came up to the top of the car park too and the kids were glaring at me as if I was the monster that told them they couldn't have fun. So mm. there's some people just don't understand what the risk could be. Um, and you know, there is, in my eyes, I see a lot of it because I'm in the, the gang. There's a lot of warnings out there, but people just don't stop and think. They just think water fun, get that blow up unicorn and go for it. And it's stressful sometimes, isn't it, when you're out there and you feel like, am I the only one that can see this? And you feel like if no one else is noticing it, it's now my responsibility to let them know or to inform them or to help them. Or if anything happens, I'm going to be the one that's going to paddle out there and save you. Yeah, and when the surfers are out somewhere nice and isolated, they've found a spot and then people see them in the water. So they go, let's go swim where they are because they seem to know where to go. And that's probably why surfers can help them because... People swim in the wrong place, new surfers. They're just lucky they're there. Yeah. Good on you, uh, Shane. Uh, Sorry, Scott. (laughs) I'll get your name right eventually. Lovely to hear from you as well. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria, this is The Conversation Hour. 
And my name is Rochelle Hunt. Good morning. Lovely to be with you this morning. We're talking about surfers and surfers' role in saving people and the sheer number, the huge number of people's lives that they or who they've saved when it comes to understanding rips, being able to paddle out and to save someone. So maybe you're a surfer and you've had to do that or maybe a surfer has saved you. This text from Sarah in Mordialic saying, having grown up in one of Melbourne's bay beaches, I innately know that you just don't go and swim at places like Gunnamatta or Woolamai. It frustrates me to no end to hear of people drowning at beaches like this. It is such a waste of human life. I can't imagine how frustrating it must be for the local surfers, says Sarah in Mordialic. Well, Sean Doherty is the editor of Surfing World magazine and as a lifelong surfer, as is many family members of his. Sean, you've been listening to a lot of today's conversation. Is it a combination of social responsibility and frustrating all at once? Uh, yeah, I think so, Rochelle. Um it's a weird manifestation, I think. Like, surfers tend to get a bad rap occasionally for for being really territorial about where they live and, you know, not liking locals, come, other people coming in. And But I think the one manifestation that you've seen that's hugely positive, and you've seen a lot of it over the past five years, it's increasingly being recognised, is this thing that they're actually there at the front line and seeing a lot of this stuff day to day and seeing people get out of their depth and, and wander into places where they shouldn't be. And I, I just think it's a, it's the one kind of positive manifestation of that localism that, that tends to give surfers a bad name that, that we're starting to see a, a lot more of these days. Is this just swimmers and tourists that don't understand that you're saving or is it surfers that are maybe just learning that are, you know, maybe surfing areas that they're not quite ready for? Oh, totally. It's us as well. I think the majority of, of surfers that actually perform rescues but do it, do it with other surfers. You know, there's like down here on the surf coast, obviously it's a bit of a draw for, for surfers from Melbourne and and you're always seeing people, you know, paddle out kind of beyond their, their skill level and you're often, you know, you, you're often sitting there watching it kind of happen in front of you, yeah. your eyes and you, and it's, and the, like those numbers that popped up in the, in the, that were quantified in the survey are, you know, are fairly stark, but then if you added in all the preemptive stuff that gets done as well, all the taps on the shoulder and that, mate, you probably shouldn't be going out here. Um, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd absolutely triple that, quadruple it quite easily. Do you work in conjunction with the clubs? I mean, obviously most people should be swimming in between the flags and where the surf clubs are, but unfortunately human beings are silly and, and they don't and, and they go down and you see areas where you know that are dangerous and there's heaps of people and towels and all sorts of blow-up devices that just shouldn't be there. So are you working in conjunction with the, the, the local clubs or is it just kind of a bit of an unwritten law that, okay, well, we're out here and we're manning this area that you can't man? Yeah, well, I think, it's, <clears throat> pardon me, it's just organic. Like we end up in places where they don't. You know, the, the patrol beaches are obviously closer to town. And, and Choco mentioned it earlier, Gary, you know, said we, we tend to be drawn as we get as far away from that as we can. Um, and I think fundamentally as well, surfers end up where there's surf. And where there's surf, there's generally a lot of moving water, um, which can spell trouble if you don't know what you're doing. But, yeah, they're fairly distinct groups, although there is, you know, and, and there's been some animosity between the between board riders and the surf clubs over the years. Um but I actually feel that we're much closer to being on mm. the same page these days than, than probably we've ever been, for sure. When we talk about the training that surfers receive, New South Wales, and we're going to have a chat to them in just a moment, and I know it's different in terms of the types of sharks that they get and the sheer amount of times that people may be injured by a, a shark, but they've put in some fairly progressive training in teaching, uh, I think, around 50 surfers of how to deal with someone uh, after a, a shark attack. But this, I guess, wouldn't be close to you and to your family because your brother tried to save someone who had been bitten by a shark, Sean. Is that right? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, he found himself in, you know, um, in close proximity to one. He was five yards away from a guy who got hit. Um, it's a very different scenario on the, the East Coast um, in the past 10 years. Like we, like a previous caller said, we don't see a lot of sharks here, particularly on the surf coast here. But the East Coast, it's, you know, the numbers are, have kind of have gone through the roof, but they're significantly um, increased in the past decade. And, yeah, my brother found himself, you know, five yards away from a guy who got hit, um, kind of, you know, hung back, didn't paddle in, hung back, 
tried to intervene, couldn't get near the guy. And eventually when the shark let go, he was first there to grab him. A couple other guys, they got him to the beach and, and couldn't save him. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's, but there was a number of, you know, of attacks on the East Coast. And it, it's prompted, you know, as, as remote as the likelihood is, they've actually got plans in place around that now. And and I think surfers generally, on the, particularly on the East Coast, where they've seen a bit of it, have a better idea of what to do. If if in the, the very unlikely scenario that they, they end up in the middle of it, um, they, they kind of understand what they'd probably need to do to, to help someone. How's your brother after that? That's a pretty traumatic thing to have to experience. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, he was rattled totally um, and probably still is to a degree. He, he's a fireman by trade, so he sees a lot of that. Um in his day-to-day life but yeah really confronting um didn't surf for probably six months after it like mad keen surfer surfs every day um but yeah it's and it's fairly common with crew like statistically obviously it's really unlikely that you're ever going to you know wind up in the middle of something like that but but psychologically that how deep it affects you it's it's quite profound um and, and, and you can probably extend that to even to drowning though as well you know it's and I think that's why this conversation is is you know it's just that interface because you, you've got that I the ideal location of the being at the beach and it, you're a million miles away from care you know and then to suddenly you know find yourself in the middle of of someone needing to be rescued or you know um, it's it can just the switch can flick like that and it, you know something that, that's idyllic and beautiful and and tranquil can become you know pretty horrific pretty quickly and that's the other thing that we haven't discussed today is the trauma and the stress that it puts onto surfers and especially if you've saved someone and if that person doesn't survive or they barely survive or just the the idea of what you've had to go through and then you see it again and again and again and again and you know even just in a little local community where I've witnessed the stress build up because they know how dangerous it can be and they're just so bloody worried about people that go out there it's you know that's something that uh, can affect people deeply yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I think most surfers are fairly blasé and, and they'll go surfing and do their thing and whatever. But I, but anyone who's actually actively been involved with one, you know, if you've had to pull someone out or, you know, yeah, I ha- unfortunately had to deal with something even more serious than that, then, you know, it, it tends to stick with you. Um, if it's successful, it sticks with you in a positive way. You do feel like, you know, you've actually, you've yeah. you know, you've done something huge, you know, and, and, and people wear that for a long time. Um, but also it can, you know, it can also probably manifest negatively if it doesn't yeah. work out. It's Absolutely. Oh, have you been for a surf today, Sean? Uh-huh. Sadly, no, Rochelle. We had, we had waves down here. We had big surf down here last week. So for the first time in a long time, so everyone, for the first time in a long time, everyone surfed out in town. <laughs> I didn't even think that was possible, mate. <laughs> it, yeah, I know. It happens occasionally. Okay. Not very often, though. <laughs> Not enough. Not a, excellent. Sean, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Good on you, Rochelle. See ya. Well, well, well. If he can just take a little bit of time out of his day and call our number, it's our very own Trevor Chapel talking about how is the surf down in Torquay. Have you been for a surf today, Trev? Good morning. No. I've, I've, good morning, Rochelle. I played golf this morning. <laughs> you are living a dream, mate. <laughs> what a dream it is. I did have a look on the way home and it's not so flash today. I know, as my dad would say, oh, bloody hard life you've got, getting out there surfing. <laughs> have you had to, I mean, you've been listening to a lot of this, Trevor, mm. and you, you know, live and breathe the coast. It's, it's your community, it's your town. Is there enough training? Is there enough signage? Is there too much responsibility on surfers? I don't know if there's too much responsibility because people take on, I guess, as we've been, we've heard throughout the morning, is that people take on that responsibility and it's okay. It's little things. I mean, I've I've never had to do a rescue. I've pulled people out of the water that are in trouble, then sort of towed them in. People on bodyboards, quite often on bodyboards with no flippers, and so there are little things that I think that people need to understand more about what you need to do, the things that you need to have, and to understand what it's like in the ocean. So many people on bodyboards without flippers, and sometimes I think parents think that the kids are safe or they're okay because they're on a bodyboard, and then they just float out. And someone has to bring him in. And I was talking, like, I mean, this is the beauty with, of organising this show with surfers, that you can speak to them really, really early in the morning because they're generally up and about and have already been for a surf. And the idea of leg ropes and 
of whether yeah. or not people use too many leg ropes now and if it may, maybe gives you that false sense of security of how strong a swimmer you are and whether or not leg ropes is something that you should be you should be able to learn how to, to surf, so if you're learning to surf, without a leg rope. Leg, um, I think that we should be using leg ropes all the time for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because you mean you don't have to swim after the board when, when you come off, especially when you're learning. And then later, when you're out in deeper water or in the Safer. surf out the back, then you need a leg rope to be able to, to stay there because if you come off, you don't lose the board. I've had leg ropes break and had a hell of a swim in. And other servers will help you out because they'll see the board coming in, they'll stop it so you don't have to swim as far. So there's a huge responsibility in that, I reckon. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, I just wonder, I mean, were you given first aid training from your local club? There's text here from Jim saying, to surf clubs offer first, first aid training to just general surfers? No, I, I, I look not as far as I know. Um, I've had first aid training through doing bronze medallion and that sort of thing. So I've had first aid training anyway, but not that I know of. But most of the people have experience in the water. So as I heard people saying earlier, they know what the movement of the water is. And I think, I don't know, a lot of people that live down on the coast quite often do CPR courses anyway, mm. whether it's through the surf course, whether it's through the surf clubs or not. I think a lot of people do CPR anyhow. Trev, thanks for calling in. How'd you go at golf today? Uh, 36 points before the bad. All right, mate. I'll let you get back to your life of leisure. Thank Good you. On you. En- enjoying this. It's a really important program. Well done. Good on you, Trev. Thank you. See, you just never know who's listening, hey, and who's going to ring through. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, my name is Rochelle Hunter and we're talking about that training that surf lifesaving clubs are given to surfers in order to be able to help people when they get into trouble. And New South Wales have taken it to the next level. Adam Seminara is the New South Wales Surf Education and Programs Manager. And Adam, you've been working there with your state government and teaching surfers how to help someone if they have been the word attacked by a shark comes in, but it feels like that's not the right word, but bitten by a shark or find themselves uh, too close to a shark. What's this, the training that you've taken on? Yeah, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Um, look, so last year we um, formed a partnership with the Department of Primary Industries um, as part of the New South Wales Government Shark Management Program. Um, and part of the funding that we received we wanted to create a trauma kit initially, um, and this trauma kit is to be used in in a life-threatening situation, you know, mm. such as like a propeller injury, um, a f- real bad fin chop, kind of lacerations, um, and even your shark attacks. So um, we work with the TACMED uh, military paramedics on on designing this, this kit, and um, we gave the kit out to every single one of our board rider clubs um, surf schools, um, high performance coach in, in New South Wales. Um, so, yeah, it was all well and good us giving the kits out to all our clubs and schools, but we had to provide the training on yes. how to use the kit. That's right. Um, There's no point having if you don't know how to use it. So how has it made it? It sounds like it's that next level. It's that next step up. So what sort of training and, and what's in the kit? Yeah, so the kit contains things like tourniquets, quick clot hemostatic gauzes, which will help um, your capillaries. It's got an agent in it that helps your capillaries um, clot quicker. Um, And then you've got your olus bandages, hypothermia blankets. Um, You've got shears there because we find that a lot of time people are in danger they or in trouble they've got wetsuits on and they can't get the wetsuit off. So the shears are there to, to to cut it so you can, you know, get a defib on. Um, you've also got a stretcher in the back that, that can hold up to 340 kilograms and it's all really neatly packed and labelled. Um, yeah, so it's And it's where do the kids live? Have. Is it the individual's responsibility to have it with them or do they live at the clubs? So it's with the board rider clubs. So the board rider clubs all get the kit um, and so, you know, they usually have a, a, a comp once a month down the beach. Um, there's also kits that we're trying to get out to to other professionals. A lot of lifeguards have, have taken on board with this kit as well. Um, yeah. I just think it's wonderful. And how's it been going? Has it has it been successful? I know it hasn't been up and running for very long, but what sort of results have you seen? Look, it's been received really well. Um, we've been travelling to a lot of regional communities 
and they don't expect to, to get something like this. You know, they've got long stretches of beaches that are unpatrolled and, um, yeah, so to be able to give them the kit, give them the knowledge of how to how to use it. But then there's also the training. We we also show how to how to use um, you know improvised tools. You know, using a stick and a pair of boardies as a tourniquet. So you're you're not just using the kit. You're showing how to yeah improvise. How to, absolutely, yeah. and then that kind of stuff's really important, and it and it gives people the confidence to. You know, to be able to act in a situation. That's right. And, and just knowing and you've got that back knowledge there. And have other, I think WA are maybe looking at doing a similar thing. Have you had other states, other clubs look at, I guess, this blueprint that you've created? Um, not so much in this in this space at the moment, to my knowledge, but definitely the surfers rescue program that we have, which is which is more about um, surfers. Um, using techniques with their surfboard to to save people in the ocean. Um, I know Victoria and WA both using this program that Surfing New South Wales created. Um, so that's yeah, definitely. I think it, it's amazing that they have, and, and it's and it should be nationally. Um, you know, yeah, sounds like absolutely out. it should be. Congratulations, Adam. It's really great. You should be very proud of what you've done. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Adam. Adam Seminaras, New South Wales Surf Education and Programs Manager. I mean, yeah, just a stick and a pair of board shorts or understanding how to actually use your surfboard as well, whether it be to, you know, as a flotation device, if you can't necessarily get somebody on top of that board as well. There's been a lot of talk about Phillip Island and, and the back beaches at Phillip Island and someone that knows it very well is Sophie Fletcher, a long-time surfer of Phillip Island beaches and I think YCW is where you spend a lot of your time, so you've been listening to a, a lot of this as well i mean have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've had to save somebody hi rochelle um yeah i have actually at yc like you mentioned um i was just surfing and um a mother was extremely distressed on the beach and i thought maybe something had happened to her and she told me that her son was missing um and that he was swimming with a boogie board. So um, I guess, yeah, I ran up to someone else that had a long board, like a softboard, because it's easier to fit two people on a softboard than my five, six fiberglass. But I could have done it because it was a little boy. Jumped out in the rip and he was sort of just floating out the back. Um, yeah, he was distressed also, but okay, because it wasn't, yeah. Huge, they weren't massive waves, but still, being so young, and, and that luckily... Just, that's right. And did that just come naturally to you, Sophie, to think, okay, well, I, I should go get the bigger board because it's going to fit two people on? I mean, was that something that you were taught or told? Um, a bit of both. Like, I do surf lessons a lot, and we use softboards, and there were YCW as a beginner's beach also. I mean, obviously, there's rips, um, but... Yeah, there were plenty of softboards around and, yeah, it's more, it's easier, yeah, to get another person on the board with you. <laughs> Is there enough information around for tourists, especially in those areas that maybe aren't manned, but we know that people are going to go there, you know, even though that, that there's no flags, it's just a yeah. beautiful part, it's a beautiful stretch of the coastline and people are going to spend time there. Is there enough signage to say, don't swim here? There is. There's lots of signs that say, like, unpatrolled, but in saying that, I, f I don't think many people look at it. Um, locals also create their own signs, like, danger, strong rips, don't swim here, especially at Woolamai Beach. Like, there's one um, section of Cape Woolamai that's patrolled, yet there's swimmers and surfers along the whole stretch, which is kilometres long. Um, so, yeah, it's really hard, I guess, for lifeguards to control the whole... They can't do it all. That's absolutely whereas right. Whereas surfers are everywhere, every day. Um, yeah, and were so. you given first aid training, CPR training? Like, is that something that's free to you if you are a surfer, if you go down to your local club? Uh, I got it when I was younger at school. I was lucky enough my school had, like, a surfing program, um... So I've been taught first aid and CPR from a relatively young age and also like requirements of my job is to have all those qualifications. So yeah. I've sort of 
I guess, had some knowledge around it for a while. But I think it's so important that everyone, yeah, does it everyone first does it. Course, Yeah, there's people saying know. it should be taught at schools. And you're actually Definitely. not at Phillip Island at the moment. You're in Queensland because you're competing and you're competing in a, in a world <laughs> championship. Is that right? Oh, not a world championship. It's a world qualifying series event, which is a Cabarita, just in like northern New South Wales on the border. And have you um, competed yet this morning or that's happening this afternoon? No, it starts Sunday. Well, we wish you um, all the best. So, <laughs> thank you so much. Sophie, lovely to speak with you. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks. See you. That's Sophie Fletcher there. She's a local from Phillip Island, currently, uh, well, in Queensland and competing there. Roxanne, good morning. Yes. You're in East Brighton. Hi, how are you? Good. What did you want to say? Oh, just um, I'd like to bring, I suppose, an awareness to um, a course that's available online. It's called Surfers Rescue 24-7, and it's been put out by um, Surfing Victoria, and I think it's in conjunction with New South Wales as well. Um, but it's basically all your first aid, uh, rescue techniques, how to um, read the current conditions, tides, uh, shape of waves, what they do, um, rips. It's a really, really good course. It probably takes about three hours to do. It's just online and it's free. And it's there and it's available. And so it's something that you've done, Roxanne? Yes, I have. Yep, yep. Do you spend much time by the water? Um, I spend a lot of time on the water. I actually do paddle boarding. So, um, yeah, and there's loads of us that are all pretty new to the sport. And um, I think it's a beneficial thing for everyone that spends any time on the water, whether you kayak, you know, new at surfing, new at paddle boarding, just to have a look, do the course and just gives you a little bit of... Um, just you know, we didn't touch on paddleboarding today, Roxanne, but I've had quite a few texts from people saying there's lots of new paddleboarders, lots of new stand-up paddleboarders now, lots of people got them at Christmas and you see people out there and falling off and whatnot. But I also wonder, I don't know whether the, and I don't mean this in a disrespe- disrespectful way, but I wonder whether the mindset is the same for paddleboarders as it is for surfers in that innate responsibility that you have in the water or that you've grown up along the water and that it just comes naturally. I wonder whether this is just sort of a new hobby for a lot of people and maybe there's more training that's needed. Look, I think training's always good. You can never have enough training in anything. And when it comes to water, I think your worst enemy is if you panic. Um, and that's when you can get yourself into some pretty... Um, difficult situations but um, everyone is pretty conscious of on the water and we all all the paddle boarders that you know there's always keeping their eye on 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 people that might not be uh, appearing to be experienced or you know swimmers so I think it is a a water thing people just keep their eye on people that are in the water Um, and you can always tell when someone's not really confident on the water or in the water. Well it looks like a nice day for paddling today Roxanne are you heading out? Uh, maybe this afternoon after work. <laughs> oh, you called me from work. Good on you. Well, it looks beautiful out there now, so hopefully where you are in East Brighton, hopefully the bay is, is nice and still for you. Thanks so much. And a huge thank you to everyone for sharing those stories that rang through and texted in today. And I, I don't know, deep down, right, it will never happen but I want to be a surfer. You know, I want to be that person because they just, they feel like they are the most relaxed, chilled out, connected people on this earth. But there is Buckley's or none when it comes to me learning how to surf. My name's Rochelle Hunt. Thank you so much for your company this week. I'll be back with you on Monday. Until then, take care. Speak soon.